I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. More than a year into the global pandemic, we know women around the world have been specifically affected, including through job loss, increased responsibilities around childcare, domestic violence, health and economic inequities, not to mention continued systemic gender and racial bias. This weekend being Mother's Day, I wanted to ask the question, what about moms specifically? In the U.S., it's estimated that 20,000 young people have lost a parent to COVID, and it's heartbreaking to think of what this milestone celebration will mean to them. So that we could talk about what's changed for moms, I asked some of my favorite women to join me for a conversation on this topic and weigh in on whether we should be pessimistic or optimistic about what comes next for moms, for women, and for our children. On this panel, you will hear Penia B. Wardina, New York City's Commissioner for International Affairs and an advocate for social justice, who is mom to a young boy, Carrie Ellen Phillips, co-founder of communications agency BPCM, and a sustainability educator and advocate who is passionate about the circular economy, environmental impact, and soil health, among others, who is also a mom to two young girls and two young boys, as well as Dr. Oxiris Barbo, pediatrician and public health care expert, who is the former health commissioner for the city of New York and a godmother and aunt. Xeris, Carrie, and Penny, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today for our special episode, uh, just in time for Mother's Day. And the first question I want to ask each of you is, what is your, how would you define your connection to motherhood? And I'll start with Penny. Um, well, first of all, Ava, thanks so much for having us. We love The Brand is Female, um, and it is a pleasure to be on with my former colleague and Kamish sister of Sirius and Carrie. Um, so good to meet you. Um, so my uh, relationship with motherhood, um, I thought a lot about this question and I think the most honest answer is reluctance. Um, it was, I'll be honest, <laughs> my husband and I were together for a very long time and I finally said we need to have a child just to like give our lives some purpose, I guess. Um, and so that's how we started. Um, but it was a little bit reluctant. And I will um, talk about how that has changed later, thanks to COVID. Mm. Carrie. It's really interesting you said that, Penny. First of all, thank you so much, um, Ava. It's always so much fun to spend time with you and the amazing women you bring together. Um, I, too, was a I, not even a reluctant mother. I remember turning to my mother. Uh, we were at my cousin's wedding. I was probably about nine. And I looked at her and I was in this huge frilly dress. And I said, why do people do this? This is like, this is awful. And she said, well, you know, it's all part. We're, we're very, like, we're Italian and my mother grew up Catholic. And, um, and I said, I just want, I just want to prepare you. I'm never going to do this. And I'm never going to have kids. And I kind of went with that line. And I really, really, truly meant it um, for years and years and years. And um, I had an experience 2008. My mother-in-law passed away. My partner and I had been together for um, eight and a half years. 
and he knew I didn't want kids and it was all fine. And we got pregnant and it just all felt like, okay, we'll have a kid. This'll be great. The spoiler <laughs> alert, end of the story is that I now have four. Um, <laughs> um, two of whom are twins. And, um, you know, so I have, I have four kids ranging in age from 11 to four. Um, and um, I'm, I'm so grateful that the universe has different plans for us than we have for ourselves is, I think, my relationship to motherhood. <laughs> mm. yes. I love that. And series. Yes, I love that as well. Um, so I just want to add my thanks to you, Ava, for bringing us together. I'm really excited to be um, talking about this topic at this time of the year and, and, and you know, as we're in the middle of that pandemic. Still, um, you know, I think my relationship to motherhood, um, as I was thinking about it, I was like, I guess the, the most sort of transparent way to put it is I, I've always played a supporting role. I don't have children of my own. Um, and so from a, a personal perspective, you know, I play a supporting role through being a godmother one of the best things that I, I love is, you know, being madrina to my now 18-year-old goddaughter um, and and playing that role for, for other kids in my life. And then, you know, from a professional perspective, again, being a supporting uh, player, if you will, in the lives of so many families when I was a, in clinical practice as a pediatrician really gave me the satisfaction of just helping women navigate what it meant to be a mother. And then at the end of the day, being able to, you know, turn off the lights at the office and, and go home and, and have my, my me time. So I feel really fortunate that in many ways I've been able to play a supporting role, um, but then also be able to hand them off at the end of the day. <laughs> and you know what? You might be the smartest one on <laughs> But I'll just say those roles to mothers of of children are so crucial. They're so crucial. Like the the work that you do as a godmother, as a friend to mothers is I think on Mother's Day that's one of the things that doesn't mm. get represented enough. Totally. is how much help we need from the other women in our community who love us, who love our children, who um, are deep parts of our, our world that allow us to be mothers, especially if you were ever in any way reluctant to do so. <laughs> that's so well said. And that's actually the perfect segue for, for my next question. And you, uh, some of you touched on this and I, I loved all, all these answers because it's, it's motherhood is so much more than just being a mom to a child. Um, and we've all been, uh, we've all been living in a, in a, in a pandemic, in a worldwide pandemic for over a year now, which is crazy to say. So this is our, our second <laughs> Mother's Day in pandemic yeah. uh, lockdown, um, and a lot has changed. And it's striking to think that when, you know, as we were celebrating Mother's Day last year, it, it, we thought this was going to be over in just a few months. But a lot has changed for uh, the world, a lot has changed for women, and a lot has changed for moms in, in these past uh, 14 to 16 months. So 
and, and I'm going to ask the first question to Carrie and Penny because you're you're both moms and uh, and and your kids are, are under ten. Um, Carrie, are they under ten? Did I get that right? Poppy's eleven. One is eleven. Yeah, one's right. eleven. I, I was close. <laughs> Children under eleven, but the, the, the last year, which has been challenging for for all moms, and I want to ask you specifically as you know, as moms with young kids, what was that year like for you and what has changed? Um, so maybe we'll go with Penny first. So first I want to acknowledge um, on Mother's Day, the, the fact that moms really got the rough end of the stick this last year. Um, I think we saw in the US, um, so many women had to leave the workforce, right? Became Who's going to, because online, you know, remote learning <laughs> still needs an adult yeah. with them. Um, so I just want to shout out to all the women who and the moms that, you know, unfortunately um, had to had to leave the workforce and, and their world. Um, I'm very privileged in that I was able to, to do my work, um, have a supportive partner and, you know, shift from uh, just being around um, from, from not being around. So just as some background, um, sort of as commissioner for international affairs, worked really long hours. And if I wasn't at the office, um, I was traveling. And so when I think about my pre-COVID relationship with my son, I was kind of like a guest in his life. You know, I wasn't somebody that was there all the time. Um, you know, he saw me for like an hour in the morning, an hour at night, and then on weekends. And that's if I wasn't traveling. And it was really hard for me to adjust in COVID. Just every, you know, the first month, it's like, I appreciated everything, right? I was like, oh, I love this time with him. You know, we started to get into summer and I was like, wow, this is a lot of time. When are we going to get our lives back? Um, and so I think it's just been a roller coaster of a year. And part of the ability to be a year out of it, and I'm very privileged um, to be in New York City where um, you know vaccinations are flowing, we are getting a sense of normalcy back. He's in preschool, um, you know, full time all day. Um, that I can now reflect back on this year as how lucky am I to have gotten it, um, largely because also his age group. Um, he started COVID as a three and a half, and now he's about to turn five. And developmentally, he's become a person. And he's become a person that is so reflective of my husband and I. And it's because it's the first time in his life, he's been in daycare since he's been four months old, that he has spent this much time with his parents. And so mm -hmm. um, that to me has been um, just a blessing. But you know, I want to um, reiterate the privilege of us being able to stay employed, be safe, um, and be able to care for our child um, mm -hmm. is is really what I'm most thankful for the, over the last year. Mm -hmm. And Carrie, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to echo so much of what Penny's saying. I similarly, I um, I run a, a consultancy, and so I, you know, you really are trying to be with your clients as much as possible. Um, I guess back then we were trying to be with our clients as much as possible. So I was on an airplane all the time. Um, I think like guest star in their lives. And I think Penny, I don't know if you experienced this because I didn't know I was experiencing it until I was with them all the time, but I was always kind of giving them the best of me, like the mm -hmm. best version of mom, mm -hmm. um, because I was in that, that, guest starring role. It's not like, and I, I just want to like preface, it's not like we weren't <laughs> momming, right? Yeah. It's just that we were not stay at home moms. And yeah. so they get a different kind of mom. Um, yeah. That's a I would point. do like, I would do my crying mm -hmm. on an airplane. I would do my yelling mm -hmm. in my office. You know, when mm -hmm. I would come home, it was like, 
my cell phone would go in my bag. And I, I've always had this philosophy of keep your head where your feet are. And then I think for pandemic, it was all of a sudden like, oh my God, my head and my feet are in the same place, but everything's happening here. My work, my kids, my relationship, my inability to get out of here. You know, um, we, uh, again, I'm going to echo Penny, we're incredibly privileged. So we were living in Manhattan, but we've, uh, but 10 years ago, I bought a farm um, in Northwestern Connecticut. And it's always been our happy place where we come for weekends and holidays and try to spend as much time in the summer. But we decamped so that we could at least have a place where we could open doors and they could go outside. Um, and the thing for me with COVID, the, the beginning of the experience with COVID was, okay, let's try to be mindful about this next few weeks, maybe month or two, that we're all going to be indoors together and we're going to have to teach online. And I, I was actually looking back through posts from this time last year of like all of the mindful things that we were doing. And then like you realize that teachers are grossly underpaid. They are <laughs> grossly under-resourced. They are um, like heroes who don't have capes. And, you know, they, we just, I just realized I, my, my level of appreciation for teachers and so many of them, not all of them, but so many of them are women who are dealing with exactly what we're dealing with. Many of them are moms. Many of them are godmothers. They are all playing that supporting role um, to the mother archetype um, in whatever form that takes. And so for me, COVID was this deep appreciation and this like dropping of any kind of perfection and just letting my children see me as a real person and as a whole person and also letting them kind of feel their feelings too. Because I think in the beginning, they were afraid to be to show that they were scared or that um, that they were unsure or that they were frustrated or that they were angry. And so I think for us as a family, it was a lot of um, practice of really um, feeling all of our feelings. Mm -hmm. So Xeris, uh, through your work, both as a pediatrician and through uh, you monitoring closely what's happening from a public health standpoint, um, what has, and, and, and we know that maternal health and uh, even you know the health of moms and their kids um, has been affected in the past year and we've observed uh, you know, I think the pandemic has uh, placed a spotlight on a lot of, of the inequities in our system at many different levels. Um, so if you had to sum it up, what has changed uh, in, you know, when it comes to maternal health uh, since the onset of the pandemic? Yeah, you know, I think in, in thinking about this, um, I can, there's one or two ways I can go, right? One is everything has changed and nothing has changed. And um, but I think part of what I've come to realize is that COVID and this pandemic have really shown a spotlight on how important it is to support the lives of women, because without that, without women in our world, like we would be nowhere, right? Like I, I say that like truly seriously. Amen. Right? And so, you know, I, I, it also sort of struck me that, and and I say this, you know, and hoping not to alienate folks, but at this point in my career, I'm like without a filter. 
you know, I, I'm really, the universe put me where I was when I needed to be there. And the fact that it was a woman leading the, the public health response in New York City during a pandemic, I think made a big difference. And especially of woman, a woman of color, right? Because early on, we had all of the anxieties of what does it mean for the pandemic about having women, you know, delivering in, in hospitals mm -hmm. and, you know, policies put in place to essentially isolate women giving birth when everything in my core as a pediatrician said, no, we need to have women be able to have their partners present. And if they need doula support, they need to be present as well. And we need to figure out ways of doing these things safely. And then, you know, extending that out through the continuum of being a mother and, and the fact that, you know, as Carrie sort of alluded to earlier, we, we now had women who were in the workforce, but at the same time had to now be either kindergarten teachers, middle school teachers, or high school teachers to their kids at the same time. And so I think a lot has changed. And um, my hope is that we will, as a society, sort of come back to our roots and recognize the importance of supporting women in their everyday lives because making those investments means that we as a society can be more whole and can heal from this pandemic in a way that's more humane and grounded. And I think sort of focused on what really makes a difference in the fabric of not only a family, but of our communities. And so, you know, I think the last thing that I'll say is that um, I often, you know, use an example to sort of highlight what we did differently in the pandemic and the kinds of things we need to pay attention to moving forward. And it's the fact that, you know, in the pandemic, I think that early childhood centers suffered a lot because mm -hmm. in this city, as, as you know, in the other parts of the country, these are centers that tend to be small businesses, often run by women of color, supporting other women of color to be able to stay in the workforce during COVID. We found especially that, you know, in the poorest parts of our city, these centers closed down even before we reopened and the fact that we need to, in the reopening, think about how do we support those centers, not only as small businesses, but as opportunities for women of color to re-enter the workforce and as well for our children to, to have the best start possible in terms of you know recognizing that high quality early childhood education is really one of the best things we can do set kids up for success, not only educationally, but in their health as well. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I loved what you brought up with that concept of, you know, will our society and our health system will have to heal from the pandemic. So it's, it's a healing, not just from COVID as a disease, but from everything that the pandemic has brought on. And we'll come back to, um, you know, the situation for kids because we're talking about moms, but um, this is in connection, a conversation about children as well. Um, and Penny, I want to 
uh, hone in uh, your mom to a boy and um there's been, you know, a lot of, of uh, society conversations in, in the past 14 months. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the, the spotlight on inequities, but uh, it's also there's been a racial reckoning. There's been uh, an awakening uh, around gender bias, gender inequities as well. So I wonder how do you address that when, you know, you are raising a son in a society in today's world and what kind of conversations are you having with him and what kind of values are you trying to instill in him? So I'd love to know what your what your approach to that has been and continues to be in, in raising your son. Um, well, raising a boy is kind of crazy. They really are nuts. <laughs> like he seems to actively <laughs> want to harm himself, and it's just like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, it's interesting. So I, I think I mentioned we started COVID at three and a half. He's turning five, and I'm so shocked at the developmental change. Um, and I'll be curious to hear what Carrie had to say. But like, I'm stuck. We were always going to be one and done, and I'm stuck with everything is new. And so like my muscle, like my mom muscle continues to have to adjust. And I, I don't know what I'd be like if I had another child and like what that vibe would be. Um, but early on, my husband and I um, had always been really thoughtful. Um, I have, I have mental illness in my family. And so I'm very like cognizant of the way that I present myself and especially with my child in terms of energy um, and language and ensuring that this feels like a safe happy space for him. And my first like moment that I realized we did that, he was six months old and we woke up from um, the Clinton Trump election. This was the morning after. And there was so much sadness and tension in our bed and he was sleeping between the two of us. I could see it impact him. And that was one moment where we were like, we were never talking about this in front of him because you and I and my husband and I were just like too charged about all things Trump for it to be safe to talk about at home. So with Black Lives Matter and you know everything that's been happening, we have been very cognizant about the language we use and the way that we talk about it because at such a young age, that is shaping the way that he is, um, you know, he's understanding these things. And I think so much of it has to do at, at this age too, is by the influences that are around him. Um, you know, so I kind of felt like I knew I was doing something good. Um, we were um, reading this. Uh, book Paw Patrol um, and Mayor, I think it's Mayor, I like Mayor Goodwin or whatever, he calls her Auntie Mayor because all of his aunties are brown. And I'm like, yes, that's right. It's Auntie Mayor. Um, but that, but the way, awesome. when I, you know, but when I was thinking, but like, look at the way his little brain is taking into account, quite honestly, the diversity around him. Um, and he sees us all in I will say one of the things that I was really thoughtful, um, I wanted to be thoughtful about is that the way we talk about work at home. So now he's constantly seeing us and now work could become this thing he could really dislike because every time he wants to engage us, like, no, we're doing something work related. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, at the end of the day, would talk about why we enjoyed work, right? And like the conversations I would get to have with the people and like, this is mommy's version of, you know, having having some having some fun while she's doing something. And so I think it's been it's been the language, the way we talk about it, the values that we're instilling, but what he's around. Um, we didn't shy away from the Black Lives Matter uh, protests. We we went and marched um, and he didn't understand exactly why. Um, and the conversation he's like the police are bad. And it's like, nope, the police are not bad. But you know, it's like his little mind is trying to trying to understand all of this. But to me it is mm -hmm. about 
um, being as cognizant and thoughtful of the language um, that you are using and quite honestly, the energy that is around around him. Mm, and I love that you're making a, a, a case or representation, right? Now he associates with, you know, uh, people people in, in powerful roles who are brown or black, and he associates that with people around him. And, and that's great to see, um, which, you know, representation for young girls is also important. So that brings me to a question for Carrie, who's raising girls. And, um, you know, similar to what I was asking Penny what is it like raising girls in today's society? <laughs> and, you know, and a specific question I have for you is, do you think there are more opportunities for them? And how do you feel about our world now as compared to our world 14 months ago? Because it does feel like we've made progress on certain issues. And I, it was interesting how Xeris phrased it. It's like everything has changed and nothing has changed. And it would come when it comes to, you know, women's rights and, and, and women leadership, it feels like we've made a lot of progress. We've seen some great role models talking about representation, but we also know we've fallen backwards on, on some issues. So how, how are you approaching all of that with your girls? Well, every day is an adventure. Um, so I, what I will say is I have two boys and two girls. Um, and my oldest is, my oldest is, is a daughter. Um, and then I have twins who are a boy and a girl, and then my youngest is a boy. So I have got an 11-year-old um, girl and a six-year-old girl, and they are at very different points developmentally. Um, and what I will also say is I have um, three out of my four, four children are what we refer to as neurodiverse. So they have different um, learning differences and things like that. And, and my oldest daughter um, has uh, what's called a processing disorder and it shows up similarly to dyslexia. But it, what it also shows up as is that, um, I see Oxerius knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, that So the way that you explain things is super important. Um, she's incredibly intelligent, but she needs to know the how and the why and the genesis so that she can build the case and the story in her head. So um, when Penny was talking about the Clinton-Trump election, we were going to let her stay up with us. And she was in kindergarten. We were going to let her stay up with us and watch um, the first woman president be elected. And I just kept watching James Carville's face. And I said, okay, sweetheart, this is going to go way too long. We're going to just put you to bed now. Because James Car like if you watch James Carville's face during that entire thing, you realize that the the tack this thing was going to take before it became obvious. So um, the next morning I took her to kindergarten and no, it wasn't kindergarten. It was, it was a couple of years later, but, it, but she had this group, she was in a very diverse um, public school in Brooklyn with lots of, in, in a, in a group that was equally Asian, black, white, um, and Hispanic. And, and it, it was, it was put together very specifically that way. And I just, I just felt like this is, this is what she's going to need to grow up protecting is, is this sense of people look differently than me, but I don't treat them differently. They are, you know, and, and, and I realized in that moment that if, if we were going to have a Trump presidency, the thing that we desperately needed to protect in our children was this idea um, of equality 
equity and standing up for people who um, don't look like us or who could be judged because they do not. Um, she has the privilege of being a, um, a pretty blonde white girl. And um, so that's been, that's been one of those things. And, and as we've been in quarantine, we haven't seen anybody. But what she has seen is the world changing around her. Now she's 11. Then I think she must have been six or seven. Um, and so, th- so many things have come up. She went to the climate marches with me. Um, we've really talked a lot about Black Lives Matter. And, and the thing that's been hard to explain, certainly been really hard to explain to my six-year-old, um, certainly not my four-year-old, but um, to my 11-year-old is the idea, because it's hard, for, it's hard for, it's, I think it's hard for white people to understand that it's about the system. It is about these systems that have existed. Um, we are we are in these systems. We are a part of these systems. We benefit from these systems. So the dismantling of these systems is the most important thing. And they only become dismantled um, if we stop believing in them. And they only become dismantled if we do active work to dismantle them in our own lives. And so that that's been... It, Penny, I got the same question of like, wait, the police are bad? No, the police are a group of human beings. Um, it is the system in which they operate that creates the idea of, um, it, that creates these ideas that, that you end up with constant systematic violence and oppression of black, brown, indigenous people. This is, this is, um, it's historical. We can look at it. We can point to it. There's, there's just, and so that, that's really, um, what it's about. So having those conversations has been really important. And I think I'll go back to the other thing about raising girls is the difference between raising girls and raising boys. I I only understand because I have both and I had a girl for so long. Girls learn things by feeling them and boys learn things by doing them. So where Penny's son is probably like, you know, you're like, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. Don't touch the stove. He like wants to be burnt. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't believe you until he touches it and gets burnt and then he'll never touch the stove again. My daughters are like, I'm like, don't touch the stove. It's hot. And they feel the fear and they're like, oh God, okay. I really want to touch it, but I'm scared. I really want to touch it, but I'm scared. And so it's really interesting because I think as women and as young women who were probably all around the same age, who came up the way we did, you're not taught to like feel all of your feelings and understand them or express them. It's sort of like, I've told you what to feel now, feel that and, and keep moving. Um, and so that's been the biggest thing with my um, daughters. I think as I'm learning that lesson in my own life to kind of feel all my feelings, examine what's happening within me, I've been trying to teach them now so that they're not learning it in their 40s. Um, and really sit with where those feelings are in our bodies. And, and we try to talk about those things. And sometimes you get like 10 seconds of that with them. That's the other thing. It's not like my children are sitting around meditating. It's that like you get 10 mindful seconds with them and you're like, I got to be happy with that. And then we'll build the next 10 seconds on and the next 10 seconds on. And hopefully there's a cumulative effect. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. listening to Carrie, it's also a good reminder that to be a good parent, um, and on this Mother's Day, it's a lot of damn work. It's not just like oh cooking <laughs> and the physical stuff. It's the emotional burden of raising 
you know, our next generation that's mm -hmm. exhausting and why we need, you know, Dr. Barbeau and all of the, you know, community that, that like, you know, is, is core to it. That holds us up, that mm -hmm. scaffolds mm -hmm. us because it's, it's like doing calisthenics 24 hours a day. <laughs> you know, something somebody told me a long time ago, which I thought was so, I love that she did this so, um, so deliberately, but every, um, every year for her daughter's birthday, she wanted to gift her a friend, like somebody that she could always like call mm. upon and like create this world. And I don't, I never, I've, I haven't done it intentionally like that, but it's something that I have noticed myself building. Like it has been so important for my son um, to build relationships with the aunties they're not related to me with my best mm -hmm. friends um you know mm -hmm. and spend time with them because i want him to have that when when i'm not around you know and so that mm -hmm. community that scaffolding i love that and that's interesting because that's come up in what the three of you have been talking about right and it's a, a year and over a year now where everyone has felt very isolated and lonely and you've all spoken about the need to build this community in in support, you know, around your your children or supporting the children of others. Um, so that's and 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 we all know how important that is, and and not just for kids, for for us uh, adults as well. Oxiris, my next question is for you, and uh, this is probably the only time I'm I'm going to refer to a, a stat today, but um, a recent report, uh, which I know you've highlighted uh, through your work, um, is disclosing that it's forty thousand. Uh, young people who have lost a parent to COVID since the start of the pandemic, and this is in the U.S. specifically, I believe. And as we get ready to celebrate Mother's Day this weekend, it's it's really uh, heartbreaking to think of you know these kids who are not going to have their mom around, um, or or kids and and moms whose dad is not around uh, for for this weekend. Um, and we also know, actually, I lied. I have a second stat I'm going to bring up, but we also know that. Um, you know, there, there's inequities when it comes to how uh, race is affecting uh, or is a factor in how children are affected by COVID and a pandemic. So black children, 20% uh, of, of black children have experienced parental loss and they only represent 14% of the population. And we also know that children of color are more likely to get COVID and to die from it. So, and this is obviously a, a question. It's 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 a big question that would probably take a, a you know a long time to appropriately respond to. But what what are the main lessons that we can draw from this from a public health policy standpoint? Mm. I think the, the most important thing is to keep in mind that these inequities and in outcomes have nothing really to do with biology or physiology, but they have everything to do with the everyday lives of people of color in this country. And the fact that, you know, our country has been built on structural racism and for generations there has been disinvestment in communities to support adequate housing, economic opportunities, good education, all of the things that in this pandemic have made a huge difference about whether or not people have been able to weather the storm. I think one of the other things to really highlight is that there was also a recent study that showed that um, 29 percent of Latino children and 31 percent of Black children live in households where 
um, there are three or more health and economic difficulties going on at the same time, right? And this includes um, some level of unemployment, not being able to keep up with the rent or the mortgage, you know, being food insecure, um, and having physical or mental health issues. And so I think that um, it is, this pandemic has been, and it's kind of weird to put it this way, but I think it's the best way to put it. it it's been a huge learning opportunity, right, to help us move from the academic and perhaps abstract way in which we talk about things like the social determinants of health and really sort of translate that into real life to say that, you know, when children, when moms don't have access to stable housing, food security, economic security, generational wealth transfer, that then translates into their being you know, higher levels of sickness, death, insecurity, and the long-term ramifications of that, I think are, that I think I know, are not just limited to black and brown kids or families, but it affects all of us. And I think that's the other thing that's really important to sort of note, I think especially, you know, during this time of the year and, and Mother's Day and the fact that we're talking about you know, the, the, the need for moms to have additional support and caring adults that we all benefit when we stand up and take roles that support women in being mothers, that it's not it goes beyond the individual and it goes to the society. And I think, you know, to the extent that we can not just talk it, but live it both in our personal and our civic lives, I think we'll all benefit that much more. And hopefully in the end, you know, what will come out of this is having a more just society. Mm -hmm. That And that's the hope, right? And um, that's actually, you know, a, a question I, I wanted to um, kind of indirectly address today, which was around, you know, should we be optimistic or pessimistic about um, what this what this pandemic has meant and, and the changes it's it's leading to for, for women and for moms specifically. So um, actually, I'm going to I'm going to draw a link to. Uh, something I wanted to ask Carrie and Carrie through your work as a sustainability educator, uh, among different things that you do, but uh, I, I, I know a lot of your work focuses on, on sustainability. Um, and, you know, you work, you work especially with uh, uh, the fashion industry in helping uh, reshape standards uh, to have a, a, a more sustainable industry. How do you bring up, and we know there's so much anxiety and dread around the climate crisis, and this could contribute to a pessimistic take on things. How do you tackle that with your kids? For me, in what I do, being that I'm working in environmental impact, um, soil health, um, environmental advocacy, what we refer to as sustainability um, across different industries, I have to maintain my sense of optimism. And the only way to maintain my sense of optimism is to zoom out really far. Because if I think about the micro issues, um, you can get lost in them. 
and getting lost in an issue kind of starts to take you into a, it takes me anyway, into sort of a, a spin. So when I zoom out and I look at what has happened over the last two years and where we are um, as a society, the thing that I can get optimistic about is that there's there's two things for me that have that have risen together that are very much interrelated. And one of those is the issue of biodiversity um, and that we people starting to understand, even though people have been talking about it since the hippies of the 60, the 60s, that we need to protect biodiversity. You know, I think Silent Spring was the first um, book that really brought that up. And I think it was published in 1962, but it has risen into the cultural zeitgeist. At the same time, our need for appreciation of human diversity has come to the fore as well. And so I don't think it's an accident that both of these two things are coming up for review at the same time for us as human beings. Um, I believe this is how the universe works. And so for me, I really truly believe that if we see, um, that if we embrace um, diversity in human beings and the wisdom that comes from diversity in human beings, be that racial diversity, cultural diversity, neurodiversity, um, it is the same, and we protect those things and view them as a gift, it is the same process that we need to go through with the land and protecting resources, protecting biodiversity. This is bees and butterflies and soil health and um, not wasting our natural resources, not extract, not overly extracting natural resources. But I do believe that those two things are coming up. And if we are truly able as a species to view them both as a gift, I think that we will be able to um, thrive and kind of live um, Ava, Ava knows me well, and I always talk about, you know, bringing humans into balance with the planet. And, and this is not just an environmental issue, it's also a social issue. So I'm hopeful because, because it's not just the activists talking about this anymore. It's really coming into dinner table conversation. That does make me optimistic. And a serious similar question to you, uh, you know, optimistic or pessimistic, given, you know, the inequities in our in our health system, in society overall, and how they're affecting maternal health and children's health uh, specifically. So what, what's your take on it? You know, I would say that I remain rabidly optimistic. And, you know, I really... I think it's important to be that dramatic because it is easy during these times to lose hope, right? But the the fact that, you know, we have seen women in all aspects of life sort of rise to the challenge that COVID has presented, you know, be it as heads of state or be it as running daycare centers, like, God damn, like, you know, there's a lot of power there. And I hope that doesn't give us an explicit sign. But anyway, you know, th so that makes, gives me great optimism, you know, and the other, the other thing is that there are so many good things that we have going for us 
as a society, as global partners, that um, we need to keep it going and we need to bring more people into the fold. And, and it's that kind of um, hopefully new and better and more inclusive ways of addressing the, the multitude of emergencies that we have going on from climate change to pandemic to economic insecurity to racial reckoning, all of that coming together, I think is give me optimism. And I love the fact that we're doing a podcast and we hear children's voices in the background because it makes it real, right? Like we, we are talking about real everyday things. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it's our kids that we're doing this for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I think, I think that's mine that she's talking about. <laughs> I think it's well made. Right in front of me, he's, he's doing Legos. <laughs> But he also seems to like to play with himself. Always it it's, so it sounds really joyful. So yeah, I think embrace that. Mm -hmm. My closing question, and I usually always end these conversations my, my, with, with this question. And the question used to be, what do you wish women would do more of until it's been brought to my attention that we have to stop asking women to do more stuff because we already do so much. So I, ch I changed it to what should women do less of. And my question to you is what should moms do less of or stop doing? I can jump in. Um, I think that I some of the best advice I got was from a fellow mom um, last summer, um, where, you know, part of also being at home is you're trying to make this perfect ex experience for them because you know how much your kids have lost out, right? They're not interacting with their friends, you know, you know, having an only child, my son was in a New York City apartment with his mom and dad for three months, <laughs> didn't interact with any other children um, until playgrounds opened sometime in the summer. Um, and something a friend of mine said, actually a fellow commissioner, a human rights commissioner, Carmelin, said, you know what? He's going to be fine. It's you who you need to take care of. This Your mental health, how you're getting through the day with work, all the stress that we have going on, he's going to be fine. Take care of yourself. And so that's what I think moms need to remember is that we don't need to be perfect. You know, we just need to do what we need to do to survive right now. And that is going to be great for our kids. So. So Penny stole my answer. Um, <laughs> and I got that answer from somebody else. I'm giving her No, I know. It, but it is really, I, I think, but I think that speaks to the expectations that mothers, I don't even know if it's the world has of us, but that we have of ourselves, that we can somehow generate perfection. And maybe it is that we like gestated these little beings who for us are perfect. And so you want nothing less for them than to be the perfect mom who has the healthy dinner on the table and that the house is completely immaculate and that they have all of the mental, emotional, social stimulation that they need, that they're in the best school, that they have the best, that you're reading them the right books, that there is so much that we put on ourselves. The expectations are epic. We would never put these expectations on another woman. I would never assume that I would go over to Penny's house and that having a five-year-old boy that like her house would be immaculately perfect and she would put the perfect dinner on the table and the da 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 I would just be psyched to come over and sit in what is like in whatever state, look at this guy, he's adorable, <laughs> and have a glass of wine and talk about like the beauty and the 
the mess and the, the, all of those things. Cause we all experience that. So I, what I wish we would do as women and I, what I hope that we can start to do for ourselves as mothers is drop the expectations that we lay on ourselves that we would never lay on another woman. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, yes. That again, best advice, like serious. What would you, what would you wish women or moms specifically would do less of? Yeah, you know, and hearing um, Penny and Carrie um, give their responses, I, I would have to say that, you know, from my vantage point, being one step removed from, from being a mother and just watching, you know, my sister-in-law, watching my friends with kids, like, I think that same thing. It's like, you got to let go of all of those ideas of perfectionism because they only exist in your head no one else is meeting those standards and you know sort of stressing over you know is 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 your child going to have learning loss because of this year of remote learning you know kids will make it up they're learning so many other things from you and let go of it, right? Let give yourself a break. Give yourself the space to say, it's okay that I'm not perfect because actually, you know what? It's more important for me to be present, to be emotionally available, to model for my kid what it means to have good coping skills during a time when the world is falling apart and make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. That was fantastic advice from the three of you for moms and I think for women everywhere. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think a lot of women are going to draw some some great insights and, and inspiration. So thank you. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. This has been wonderful. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.